Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week's podcast was recorded live from the first annual Women in Aesthetics Leadership Conference in Miami. Listen in as Carrie Strong, Senior Vice President of Abby V and President of Global Allergan Aesthetics, chats with Sarah Blakely, founder and executive chairwoman of Spanx. What follows is a foreword with Carrie Strong and AMSPA founder, Alex R. Tiersch, JD. All right, well, welcome. This is Alex Tiersch, and this is the AMSPA podcast. We are live, sort of, at um, the Women's and Aesthetic Leadership Conference in Miami at the beautiful One Hotel. And we are sitting here with Carrie Strom, the president of Allergan Facial Aesthetics and dominator of the aesthetic industry, I think, more than anything. And we're here because obviously we're going to be doing um, the whole conference. The conference starts this morning and we're very excited to be here, but we wanted to bring you in because you have the opportunity, Carrie, to um, sit down and talk with Sarah Blakely, the founder and amazing owner of Spanx and and talk to her one-on-one in front of everybody. And the reason we're recording this now, this podcast, is that um, that is what's going to be coming up. And I wanted to set the stage. So, Carrie, welcome. Thank you for coming. I so much appreciate you being here. And um, what are you thinking right now? Are you nervous? Well, Alex, thank you for having me. This Women in Aesthetics Leadership Conference is so important that AMSPA is hosting and leading (laughs) because in this industry that largely serves women, it is so nice to see a provider base that reflects that with these strong, successful um, women providers that we have in aesthetics. And I do see as we're helping to support women to reach their full potential and to assume leadership positions, I do see networking as mm-hmm. uh, a gap and something that comes more naturally to men and something that we need to do with women. And this event really helps to fill that need. And so yeah. thank you for hosting it. No, of course. And it's again, it's not just the providers either. It's the, it's, you know, yourself, it's the leaders of the industry. It's the the entrepreneurs and business owners who built up the industry. I mean, it's all women. I think it's such a cool, it's such a cool fact that I think needs to be, again, I say this all the time. I don't think there's another industry that I've found that is anywhere close to the number of, of entrepreneurs and businesses that are owned and run by women as, as this one. So it's, it's a really cool thing. And you get to sit down with Sarah Blakely. Oh, Alex, thank you for this opportunity. (laughs) I've been so looking forward to this meeting, not only to see everyone from AMSPA, but to be able to sit on stage with Sarah Blakely. What better person to represent, uh, female leadership in an industry that really is quite similar to aesthetics. When you think about what she's, she's done with Spanx and the problem that she's solving, it's really all about confidence. Yeah. And it's about women feeling like the best version of themselves. And that's where I see such a natural crossover with, with yeah. aesthetics, with AMSPA and with Sarah. And on a personal level, I just find her to be extremely um, impressive and inspiring. So what's what's the first question you're going to ask her? <laughs> what her sign is? <laughs> well, my fr- I saw her this morning on Instagram posting about getting her um, her getting herself ready, and so maybe I'll just you know I'll ask her about that. Yeah, all right, I like it. Well, thank you again so much for coming. This um, event wouldn't be the same without uh, without you and the support of Allergan. So thanks so much. And this has been um, last night was incredible just to to see everybody together. It's been it's been truly. Um, it's been kind of, you know, it's been, it's been interesting because all these women that are, that are here, 
really have built AmSpot to. They've been around from the beginning and they they are the kind of the founders and the builders of this industry as are you. So thank you so much and best of luck. I mean, I can't wait to hear this. So this is going to be the podcast. We're going to, uh, this is live on stage with Carrie and um, Sarah Blakely, founder of Spanx. I'll give you the final word. Thank you for putting this meeting together. Thank you for bringing such uh, an amazing leader like Sarah. And thank you for letting me be part of it. Good luck and Godspeed. Kathy, Alex, thank you so much for making this meeting happen. How lucky are we to be here with Sarah Blakely? So last night I was at the welcome reception and I was chatting with many of the people here and we were talking about the opportunity to have you here. And I will say everyone here knows who you are, is inspired and impressed by you. They know your story. Okay, so let's start at the beginning. Sarah, like I said, everyone knows your story, but we'd love to hear it from you directly from law school inspiration to selling fax machines to Spanx. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how it happened. Okay, what a journey. Um, I grew up on Clearwater Beach, so I'm a Florida girl. And uh, growing up, my father was a trial attorney, and I used to love to watch him in court. And it was my dream to be a lawyer. So he'd get me out of school as like an eight-year-old, and I'd sit in the, the, the trial during closing arguments. And, um, and I also debated. I debated all through high school, all through college, and that was what I was going to do. Well, I'm a terrible test taker, like really bad. And so I took the LSAT, which is the entrance exam to go to law school, and I bombed it. And I took it a second time, and I got one point worse after taking, after taking like an entire prep course. So that was so depressing. And um, that de derailed my dreams of being a lawyer. And so at that point in time, I got in my car and drove to Disney World and tried out to be goofy. <laughs> I did. You have to be 5'8 to be goofy, and I'm only 5'6. So I did the whole tryouts. I got the part of a character. I was so excited. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be goofy with my college degree. This is awesome. <laughs> And uh, Disney puts you up against a wall and wherever your head ends up is a painted character. And that is the only character you could be. And I turned my head and it was a chipmunk. <laughs> so apparently chipmunks are five, six um, at Disney. And I worked at Disney for three months and then sold fax machines door to door for seven years. So for seven years, I cold called all day, every day. Um, the company was called Danka. They gave me a phone booth, a phone book, excuse me, and a cubicle and said, go sell $20,000 worth of fax machines a month by cold calling. And I was always being kicked out of buildings and escorted out. And one, and one day after having just such a particularly bad day selling fax machines, I pulled off the side of the road and I was like, I'm in the wrong movie. Call the director, call the producer, cut. This is not my life. And I went home that night and I wrote in my journal, what are you good at? And pretty much the only thing in my good column that I could think of was sales. And then I asked myself, well, why am I good at sales and what do I like about it? And the answer that came to me was, I really like giving something or selling something to someone that makes them feel good, improves their life. Um, and so I had this light bulb moment and I wrote in my journal that night, okay, I'm going to invent my own product that I can sell to millions of people that will make them feel good. 
And then I looked up in the apartment that I was in and I said out loud, universe, give me the idea and I will not squander it. And I continued to sell fax machines for two more years until I cut the feet one night out of control top panties because I had bought $89 pants at Arden B in the mall and they were really expensive and I had them in my closet and every time I put them on my undergarment showed like you'd see the thong or you'd see things and I called my friends that were models and I'm like, what do you guys wear under these? You look great in the ads. They're like, oh, we get airbrushed. I was like, okay, well, for the everyday woman, like, what are we supposed to wear? So I cut the feet out of control top pantyhose, and that night went to the party in Atlanta. They rolled up my legs all night, but I came home that night and thought, I'm going to figure out how to make this product and keep it comfortably secure just below the knee so that I can wear all these color clothes and fabrics that I don't normally wear. And what you're seeing now is it started in my apartment in Atlanta, Georgia, with my $5,000 in savings from selling fax machines. Um, and my very first sign I got at Kinko's made and I kept taping it in my apartment bedroom and it would fall. I was always sideways. And then fast forward, Spanx is now on the top of a building. That's an amazing story. Okay. So you are clearly full of hustle. Yeah. And grit. You don't take no for an answer, but you didn't necessarily have formal experience or funding. So how did you take this idea and make it something tangible? Well, I had no business being in business. Quite <laughs> frankly, I mean, I grew up on a beach in Florida. My mom was an artist, a stay-at-home mom. My dad was an attorney. I don't think I'd ever owned or looked at a fashion magazine um, until probably in my 20s after college. And, um, but one thing that I was working on was my mindset. And so I say, you know, things happen to us in life that can really force us to have to kind of, you know, either rise up or fall, fall down. And so when I was 16 years old, I was at Clearwater High and my, um, I was riding my bike with one of my really good friends and she was run over and killed by a car in front of me at 16. And then shortly after that, my dad left home. And when my dad left home, he came into my bedroom and he said, sweetie, I wish I was your age when I discovered this instead of 40. And he handed me cassette tapes um, that were by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Wayne Dyer. And he's an inspirational, motivational speaker, but he was someone who studied psychology and was a psychologist for his whole career and started kind of talking about mindset. So I played the tapes in my bedroom and I started crying when I heard the tapes because I thought to myself, I have just spent 16 years in school being taught what to think, but no one has ever taught me how to think. And I was like, I can teach myself how to think like it's not available at school, but I'm going to do it. So I was listening to these tapes all the time and they were teaching how to manifest what you want in your life, visualize what you want not fearing failure, um, you know, uh, trusting your own intuition, not caring what other people think about you, which at 16 is pretty much all we care about. So I just became a student of that. And I will say more than anything, that groundwork, like the, the sound bite in the media for the last 23 years is Sarah cut the feet out of her pantyhose and Spanx was born. But what they don't know is like the mindset work and the intention that I had been working on for so many years before that. And 
I even took it to my principal, Perry, um, and I was like, I want to um, teach this here. Mm -hmm. And he laughed at me. I said, can we make it an elective other than home ec? Like, this is really changing my life. I think it could help my peers at Clearwater High. And he said, no, but um, nobody, nobody, nobody ever wanted to be stuck in a car with me after a party, you guys, because they were like, I mean, everyone was listening to Bon Jovi and they'd get in my car and it was like, what do you really want for your life? And, and then like fast forward, like 15 years, I end up on the cover of Forbes and all my friends from Clearwater High, they texted me and all they wrote was, damn, should have listened to that shit. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Hey everyone, let me take a quick second to share something really interesting for your business. Did you know that a staggering 74% of consumers shop on their phones while watching TV at night? That's like 7 out of 10 of your patients. But the real eye-opener here is that less than 1 out of 10 med spas actually sell their products online. Can you imagine the untapped potential of giving your patients the convenience to purchase treatments, services, or skincare right from the comfort of their own homes through your very own branded app? That's where RepeatMD comes in. RepeatMD is the fastest growing software in the medical aesthetics industry, and for good reason. RepeatMD is designed by e-commerce experts who have worked with renowned brands like Target, Nordstrom, and Neiman Marcus, and they'll build your practice its own mobile rewards and shopping app. Clients love RepeatMD, and patients love the experience RepeatMD provides. RepeatMD rewards patients for spending more, encourages them to come back more often, and helps them discover treatments they'll absolutely love. On top of that, your practice can sell memberships and offer financing for services all through your very own app designed and managed by the experts at RepeatMD. The bottom line is that RepeatMD enhances the entire patient experience while boosting your practice's revenue. They are game changers for your med spa. So what are you waiting for? Visit repeatmd.com forward slash amspa to book a quick product demonstration. And guess what? We'll have special pricing for medical spa insider listeners and you'll receive 50% off towards your first purchase. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Head over to repeatmd forward slash amspa today. So, okay, Spanx is an iconic brand. Everyone knows what Spanx is. Tell us how you came, there's gotta be a great story how you came up with the name. The name, I spent like a year trying to come up with a name and I would write ideas on scrap pieces of paper, rental car agreements, back of gum wrappers. And, um, and then I narrowed down my thinking because I thought at the time, what? Coca-Cola and Kodak are the two most recognized names in the world right now. What do they have in common? And they both had a strong K sound. Mm. And I did a little bit of stand-up comedy at that time. And it was this weird trade secret that among comedians, the K sound makes your audience laugh. So comedians try to say K or that sound as much as they can. So I was like, there must be something about the K. And once I thought of that, I was sitting in traffic in Atlanta and across my dashboard, the word Spanx just appeared in my mind. And I wrote it down and I went home that night and I went on uspto.gov, which is a website for trademarking and patenting. And um, I just typed in Spanx with a KS and at the last second I backspaced the K and the S and put an X because I did research that made up words do better for product than, than real words and they're easier to trademark. So for $150 with my credit card, I became the owner of the word Spanx. And we're so glad that you did. <laughs> Can I tell you guys how bad my runner up name was? Like yeah. I always think there's a lot of power in a name. I mean, 
the, what I loved about Spanx, first of all, this is because it's part of, it's like a household name now, and which is kind of crazy because I didn't advertise for 16 years. I spent no money on advertising. It was all word of mouth. And this became this um, household name. But um, when, when I was creating the name and trying to like put it out in the world, everybody was offended by it. Hmm. Like I got hung up on, people didn't take me seriously. Half of the stores in middle America, hmm. like this one department store chain called Von Mar, and they wouldn't sell Spanx because they said it was offensive. Mm. And so what I loved about the name was it was like right on that edge and it made people want to talk about it, laugh about it, flash it. I mean, I get flashed everywhere I go. Um, <laughs> I really do. I can't even believe the people who flash me. And um, that, you know, that my husband just gets all the fringe benefits. He's always standing next to me like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And women are like, no, really, I have it on. Or like, pulling out their bar, like, can you change this about that? Um, and uh, yeah, so it did just remind me of, like, this was like a pinch me moment, but I was seated at an event between Warren Buffett and Madeleine Albright, Secretary Madeleine Albright. And all, all of a sudden, Madeleine and I just got to talking about bras. And I go, Madeleine, what is your bra size? And I thought Warren was going <laughs> to spit up his French fries. He was like, Oh my God, I've never in my life sat at an event and heard women talk about their, I was like, this is just what I do, Warren. We, we just, this is what I talk about. This is why we need more women in leadership. Exactly. These are the questions that need to be asked. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> what is your bra size? Um, yeah, so, you know, it, it was very risky and felt very scary for me to name it Spanx at the time. I even got hate email from some wow. people saying like, this is so offensive, how could you do that? Um, but what I liked about it was by taking that risk, and I was really scared about it, um, it, it was the first time people talked about their undergarments, right? Like all of a sudden, Gwyneth Paltrow and all these people on the red carpet were like, it's my Spanx. And prior to that, no one would have been like, it's my whatever, you know, under there. So I think it gave people a lot of permission to have fun with something. And I think having fun is so important mm -hmm. to success. And to be honest and authentic, and I need my Spanx to look this good, right? right? Exactly. So what about product development? I'm interested. I, we heard about how you got the idea and your mindset to make it happen, but how did you literally make, manufacture, develop the products? I completely fumbled my way through that. Like, I'd never taken a business class. I didn't know where to even go to get it made. I went on the internet. I looked up um, hosiery and undergarment manufacturers. A bunch of them were in North Carolina. I called them every day after work for a while. I just got passed around. No one took me seriously. So I took a week off of work and drove to North Carolina and stayed in you know, some really scary hotels along the highway and just went door to door to manufacturing plants there. And there were no women. Everybody I met with was a man and everybody that was making everything was a man. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Starting to add up a little bit because the people who are making it are not wearing it. And that's why maybe it's not as comfortable as it could be or not functioning as it should. But I would show up and I was like, they would always, the lady at the front desk of the factory would go, and you are? And I'd go, Sarah Blakely? She'd be like, and you're with? I'm like, Sarah Blakely? <laughs> And you're backed by, and I'd be like, Sarah Blakely. And um, I had my lucky red backpack with me and met them. And I'll tell you, just along the way, I really didn't know what I was doing. Like, two quick stories. 
One is I wanted to patent it. So I went to Barnes and Noble and bought a book on patents and trademarks and I wrote my patent. And the part of the patent that's the legal portion, I didn't know how to do. So I cold called a lawyer and said, will you please help me write this patent You know, for just a discounted price? I've done all the work. And he said he would, but um, so he started helping me. But you know what? He actually later admitted to me, he thought I'd been sent by like um, a, a punked show or like you're on candid camera. Because he's like, you know, you were not my typical client. Like you came in with your red backpack, you whipped out these like pantyhose with the feet cut out and said you're gonna change the way women get dressed around the world. Um, and so I was making the product with this guy named Ted in the back of the factory. Ted was so Southern. I mean like real, real, real Southern. And I called Ted, I said to the lawyer, he goes, Sarah, I need to know what's in it. I go, let's call Ted. Ted goes, all right. Wheel, there's 70% nylon and 30% lacquer. And I'm like, all right, my lawyer and I are taking notes. And that night I couldn't sleep, I'm up in my apartment. I'm like, how can there be lacquer in this product? So I call Ted first thing in the morning and I'm like, Ted, can you spell lacquer? And he's like, yeah, L-Y-C-R-A. I'm like, oh my God, lycra. <laughs> Lycra. So I called the lawyer. I'm like, do an all change on lacquer. It's actually lycra. And he laughed. He goes, you know how fast you would have gotten a patent trying to make pantyhose out of feet thinner? And I'm like, do the change. And then, and then as I was making, I literally was fumbling my way through you guys. I got the Neiman Marcus order, which was insane. I flew to Dallas. I was shaking. She gave me 10 minutes of her time. You know, I, I had like the product in a Ziploc bag from my kitchen and a color copy of the packaging that I had made on my friend's computer. And um, she gave me a chance. I called the factory owner and I'm like, Ted, Ted, Ted. I mean, uh, to the Sam, Sam was the owner. I go, Sam, I just landed in Neiman Marcus. I need more Spanx, like immediately. It was dead quiet. And Sam's like, don't take this the wrong way, but I thought you were going to give these as Christmas gifts and birthday gifts to friends for the next five years. He's like, what do you mean you just landed Neiman's? I said, Neiman's wants the product. He's like, all right, well, holy cow, I'll patch you through to Ted. I'm like, oh God. So he patches me through to Ted and I'm like, Ted, I need 3000 pair like now, Neiman's. He's like, that's fine, but what you can do about the crotches? <laughs> I was like, what? What do you mean? They come with a crotch. We've been making them. He goes, yeah, but like, we only got two crotch machines. They're being used by somebody else and we don't make the crotches here. <laughs> Guys, I freaked out. I was like, I've just landed Neiman Marcus and I have no crotches. Like, <laughs> what do you do? Where do you even go for a crotch? So <laughs> I've never heard of a crotch machine. I know, right? So I go to the yellow pages. This is how long ago I started it. And I looked under crotch and it wasn't there. And so <laughs> I found out there's a fancy word for crotch, which is gusset. So I was like, okay, I need a gusset. I ended up scrambling. People were FedExing me crotches from all over the world. My roommate would come home from work and be like, you got another crotch in the mail? I mean, and I ended up finding a man named Gene Bobo, can't make it up, an hour and 20 minutes north of Atlanta where I lived in Norcross, Georgia, that made the crotches in time and shipped them to the factory. Like, so the whole way I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And, this, and then once I landed Neiman's, they put me in seven stores and I called every friend I had in those seven cities 
people I hadn't talked to in years. I'm like, hey, it's Sarah. We sat next to each other in fourth grade. Um, right. <laughs> so I've created this product called Spanx. Will you please go buy it? Act like you've been looking for it your whole life and I'll mail you a check. <laughs> I really did. I paid all my friends to buy Spanx. And then, um, and then Oprah called because I had sent her some. And then I got on the Oprah show as her favorite product. Oh, you have to tell us more about that. That was amazing. I mean, I, I sent the product to her and in a gift basket and she tried it on while she was getting ready and became a huge Spanx fan and decided to put it on her favorite things show, which as an entrepreneur sitting in my apartment in Atlanta with no money to advertise, that was like, ah. And the Oprah show called and they said, Sarah, Oprah doesn't put people on her favorite things show. It's just about the product. But she's heard that you're taking on billion-dollar companies as the scroll in your apartment, and she wants to highlight your story. Can we fly to Atlanta and film you a little bit? And she's going to show like a one-and-a-half or two-minute reel of you. I was like, yes, okay. And they showed up at my apartment, and they're like, um, we want to film you in your headquarters. <laughs> I was like, you're there. You're here. <laughs> And they looked around, there were boxes everywhere, and they were like, oh, okay. And then they go, and we also decided on the plane, we want to film you having a staff meeting as part of the cliff. clip. <laughs> I was like, okay, hold on. So I called Connie that I'd met at mailboxes, et cetera, because I'd been faxing <laughs> a lot of Spanx out. And I'm like, Connie, can you be at my apartment in five minutes and look like you work for me? And she's like, I'm on my way. And then um, a few of my friends got out of work and came over and we sat in a circle on the floor of my apartment and that was my staff meeting. I love it. <laughs> you got to just fumble your way through it. The thing about being entrepreneurs and business owners is like you can't wait till you're ready. You're never ready. You can't wait for the right time. There's never really a, an exact right time. And being an entrepreneur is like jumping off a cliff and assembling the plane on the way down. Like it just is. You're just like here we go. I don't know what, you know what I'm doing. And, and so I still feel that way, even all these years later. So it's about having the confidence to just take that next step and say, you know, I'm going to, the people who I need are going to appear. I'm going to figure this out. I feel like two other key themes from your experience is as a small business owner and an entrepreneur, you can't rely on other people knowing the details. You have to know everything from the biggest strategy to the smallest detail and, and be an expert on it yourself. And then number two is you're authentic to yourself. You're not trying to act like a leader that you've seen in a different business. You're trying to act like Sarah Blakely and that's what's gotten you this far. Yeah. So I think being authentic, being yourself. I mean, have you ever dealt with something like imposter syndrome where you're feeling like, you know, you don't deserve to be there? I'm actually going to say no. Good for you. Because of the work I've done. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've been listening to this kind of positive thinking and training my brain how to think in a way. Like, we're only here. Like, we're just here. This is not a dress rehearsal. Like, we got one shot at life. Here we are. And so I was like, I don't want fear or doubt or any of this stuff to, like, affect this one-time experience that I have. So... How, what can I be listening to? What can I read? How can I help myself? And I still have a ton of self-doubt, like a ton. It's all the time. It's ongoing. This is the trick about us as human beings. We see people who are really successful or might be where we want to be or aspire to be. And we'll think they don't have self-doubt. Mm -hmm. Like they're there because like they're not crippled with anxiety. They're, they don't have this self-doubt. 
That's not true. The only difference is they have figured out how to manage it. They have just figured out how to quiet that voice and combat that voice that's in their head. Let's talk a little bit more about your leadership. Okay. Because we find it to be very inspiring. This idea of everyone has self-doubt, but you have to manage it. And then this concept of failure. So many leaders like to pretend like failure never happens and only focus on the successes. But yep. uh, a key attribute of your leadership style is you want to learn from failure and you encourage people to be honest about failure. So tell us about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, failure is, um, first of all, failure, there's so many nuggets in it. And I grew up with a dad that would encourage me to fail. So I would be at the dinner table and he would ask my brother, my younger brother and me, so what did you guys fail at this week? <laughs> and if I didn't have something to actually tell him, he'd be disappointed. So it was crazy. Like I'd come home from school and be like, dad, dad, I tried out for this and I was horrible. And he'd go, way to go and high five me. <laughs> um, but I didn't realize it at the time, but he as a parent was giving me the gift of reframing failure. So instead of failure becoming about the outcome, it became about not trying. So I've lived my whole life with the only definition for myself of, as a failure is when I'm like, I want to do that and I don't because I'm scared or because I'm worried I might be embarrassed or I'm worried about the outcome. And so another nugget he did with failure was not only would he say like, okay, congratulations, you failed at that. But then he would also say, so what did you get out of it? Instead of just being like full of shame or embarrassment or I didn't make the team, all my other friends made the team or I've tripped and fell in the middle of everything. He would say, so what'd you get out of it? And he was forcing us to look at the nuggets that we got because of the effort of trying. So I'd say, well, I didn't make the team, but I tried out next to this girl who's now like one of my best friends or I really think she's going to become a close friend. He'd go, okay, great. So that, that decision to do that, you have a new best friend. So it was like, oh yeah. So maybe that was the outcome I was supposed to get from this experience instead of this, like, I was supposed to make the team and I was supposed to be like, life has a master plan and we were only in the scene that we're in. We can't see the whole movie. And so that was helping me think about that differently. And at Spanx, I really encourage people to fail. Um, we had something in our culture called oops meetings. And a lot of times I would lead them and I'd get up and be like, got to tell you guys a story where I messed up. Or like last week I made this decision, it, you know, this is what happened, but then this is what I've learned from it. And we would have these meetings at Spanx and then everybody was encouraged to pick a song, a theme song to go with their mistake. Um, and like Britney Spears, Oops, I Did It Again was often played, but then like the whole company would break out into dance in the cafeteria when someone would share their oops. And like, I can remember a few of my oops, um, like we got, uh, just quickly, we got to this point where we, we were selling too much to the wholesaler. We were selling too much to Neiman's or Saks or Nordstrom and forgetting a little bit about the end consumer. Mm. So there was a lot of energy happening in our company to like do this huge dog and pony show and invest all this time and energy to impress them at a, at a market or the showroom. And so I got up and talked about how we had gotten off track a little bit on that. And, and the, the song that I played was Cheap Trick, I think, I Want You to Want Me. Mm. You know, it's like, I want you to want me. I'm like, we want, we're like wanting too much like for them to like what we're doing instead of just honoring and listening 
to the end consumer. And another thing was I was like, we've been in shapewear too long that I own that. Like we probably should have pivoted sooner and just start to make more stuff, which now Spanx makes so much incredible stuff. Take all the technology we learned underneath and start applying it into clothes. So the song that I played for that was Mr. Roboto. Does anybody here know that song? Domo Merigato, Mr. Roboto. It's such a good song, but it's like three minutes too long. <laughs> like it just keeps going. <laughs> So those just came to mind. So speaking of failure, you've also talked about embarrassment. Yes. And so are there any embarrassing stories you want to share? I mean, I share them all the time on my Instagram. <laughs> um, I was really hesitant to join Instagram. I was probably one of the last people to join it, but I'm really intentional and like to focus on purpose when I do something. And the team kept saying, Sarah, you should do it. You know, you care a lot about inspiring women and this is a platform you shouldn't ignore. And at first I was like, I don't, I mean, I don't get it. Like, why would anyone want to see what I had for breakfast or just, this is weird. And, um, and then I decided to join Instagram and I made my own filters. And so my filters were, does it make the person laugh or smile? Does it teach them something new? Does it inspire them? And those are pretty much what you find on my Instagram. And so I am uh, a big proponent of celebrating embarrassing moments because they start to lose their power over you. If I really stop and think about what we're so afraid of as human beings in the fear of failure, it really comes down to the fear of being embarrassed. And what I have found is in celebrating my embarrassing moments instead of immediately going like this, I go like this with an embarrassing moment. It doesn't own me. It doesn't control me. I don't live in fear of the next one happening and become much more careful about how I live my life. I see it as a gift. I'm like, oh, I just messed up. I can, this is a funny story that I can connect with another human being about. I can connect with my consumers about this, my team with this. And I find that when you have these embarrassing moments, there's vulnerability there and true connection happens in those moments. True connection doesn't really happen when you're going through life perfect, right? It's kind of like those nuggets where you're like, so I think we have a video of, this was just one of so many I share on my Instagram, but this was an embarrassing moment that I had that I felt like sharing with my, my Instagram people. I just did Good Morning Panda. My dress is in backwards. I didn't know. My dress is backwards. Oh my God. I know. I was wondering why it was like, I did the whole Good Morning America interview with my dress on backwards and I realized it mid-interview. I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. Just going to keep going with this. We think it looks cuter that way. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about Sarah Blakely as a leader and the company culture that you've built that's so important to you. And everyone in this room is trying to do the same thing, is build a strong, successful team, retain their best talent, build a strong culture. So yeah. what can we learn from you? Well, I mean, the first thing you do is you put yourself in the shoes of who, who you are building a team with. So the first thing I always ask myself is, what would matter to me in a culture? What would make me want to work here? What would make me want to stay here? I mean, a lot of people have choices. Why would I personally want to want to be somewhere over somewhere else? And then just sit with that, get quiet and see what comes up and just start writing ideas down or typing them in your phone. 
But for me, it kind of comes down to a few things. One is purpose. I think it's really great if you can have purpose bigger than making money, right? So if there's, if there's purpose that you can unite on in your culture that will make people feel good about the work they're doing, I would encourage that. And stay in your lane and that will reduce burnout too. When I became the most burned out in my journey at Spanx was when I was doing more in the company that was not what I enjoyed and was not my wheelhouse. I'd come home and be like, so drained of energy. Mm -hmm. And then once I realized that, um, so at the end of the day, ask yourself like, what percentage of my day today did I do doing what I'm best at? And the crazy thing about starting a business is like we start businesses because we have a love of something, mm -hmm. right? We get out of bed and we're like, I love this. And for me, I loved making product for women. I like mm -hmm. love product and I love to make products better for women and make her feel good in them, especially where I think we've been neglected because the people making them just haven't worn them or cared about how we feel. They've just been focused on how we look only. And I think that it's really important to not exclude also how we feel. So that's what revs me up. As Spanx grew, I stopped doing that. I was spending my whole day like sitting in a meeting with lawyers, then sitting in the meeting about HR, and then all the biggest problems of the company were trickling up to me. And, you know, and then I was like, came home, I was so sad. And I just wasn't happy or fulfilled. And then I realized the reason I even got into this, I'm so far removed from it now. So what needs to change? Who in my inner circle is not, you know, holding their weight that's making me feel like I still have to lean in on their role or in their position and spend too much time there? And is that because I'm being a control freak or is that because they're not the right level of talent anymore in the business? I mean, there's just like, so just help me measure that. But that's really important. And then bucketing my days. I used to, as an entrepreneur, you know, wear everything. So I'd be like, I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have a bra meeting and I'd be looking at clasps of bras and then the next meeting would be legal and then the next meeting would be, what color packaging do you want for the next product? And then the next meeting, so it was like, my brain was like, and I wasn't good at making decisions anymore because I didn't have context. In the absence of context, first of all, when your brain's having to jump from like, now I'm doing this, now I'm doing this, you're not as qual, you know, your quality of decision-making goes down. But then I also felt like I just wasn't, um, I wasn't getting context. And so I then all of a sudden said, Monday is brand day. Tuesday is my meetings with anyone who needs to meet with me in leadership team day. And Wednesday is product day. And it wasn't always perfect, but it gave everybody in the company a, a way of a cadence and it helped me have my brain be like, today I'm in Prada. Mm -hmm. And I do that also with my home life as much as I can too. How do you do that with your home life? Well, for like for me, I have a certain day in uh, like two days after school where I know that I'm just fully with the kids mm -hmm. and it's on my calendar and people know not to schedule things. And then I'm really able to be present in those days. Um, I know that Saturday is a day where I spend the whole day at games and on the sidelines of things. And then I know Sunday is allocated for pancake making and that quality time with my kids. So I kind of took my calendar and was like, 
where are the buckets that make sense instead of me constantly playing this dialogue in my head of like, not a good mom, you're not spending enough time with your kids. It was like, wait, 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 I've looked at the calendar and I've allocated like a good portion of time and so that made me feel better. I love that idea of calendar bucketing. Yeah, I'm absolutely gonna steal that idea at work and at home. So Sarah, we only have a few minutes left and I just wanna thank you for being here. It is an honor to be on the stage with you. We are all so lucky to have Sarah Blakely here. We would like to know what are your parting thoughts for this Women in Aesthetics Leadership Conference in AMSPA? Well, first of all, you're in the business for making people feel good. So stay connected to that. Stay connected to what you're most passionate about and excited about and build around you so that you can honor that. Differentiate yourself. Always pay attention to why am I different? Why am I the best option? If you can't articulate that to yourself pretty clearly and spend some time with yourself or your team asking those questions, um, you know, make things fun. And um, I think it's really important to trust your gut on decision-making. I get a lot of input and then I go off and I listen to my inner voice and um, we, we have our intuition, which has been a real guiding tool for me and I'm not afraid to use it. One of my quotes that I say that I think has probably got the most traction of people reposting it or, or, or sharing it is what you don't know can be your greatest asset if you let it and it will ensure you'll do things differently. So not knowing how it's supposed to be done is a good thing because if you have the confidence to, to lean into that, you know, if you do things the way everyone else has always done it, how are you different? Where's the innovation? How is the consumer supposed to say, oh, I'm choosing this over this? Like it's all, it's a sea of sameness. So I think that not being the expert and, and keeping the beginner's mind, like even now after I've learned a lot about how to do things, I try to wake up and go, look at it as an eight-year-old. You know, like the, the key is to kind of become the expert, but keep the beginner's mind and keep looking at it like that. I tell all the people at Spanx, most of our life is spent on autopilot. We're doing things exactly the way someone else showed us how to do or taught us how to do it. And so I say, close your eyes. And if no one showed you how to do your job, how would you do it? And we're so glad that you did do it different. Thank, Thank you so much, Sarah, for being here. Thanks for joining us with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spy Insider. This week's podcast was recorded live from the first annual Women in Aesthetics Leadership Conference in Miami. On the podcast today was Carrie Strom, Senior Vice President of ABV and President of Global Allergan Aesthetics, Sarah Bleakley, Founder and Executive Chairwoman of Spanx, and Alex Tiersch, Founder of AmSpa. If you're new with us, click on the subscribe button, then receive new content when it happens. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.